Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. Would you all please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. I think love has got to be one of the most misused and misunderstood words in our entire lexicon. Think, if you can, about the last time you used the word love. Perhaps you said it to a family member this morning. Maybe you said it to your spouse as you woke up. Maybe you didn't say it to your spouse when you woke up. Maybe you used it in reference to the breakfast you consumed or the movie you watched last night. I know all of you used it in reference to this church, and you definitely used it in reference to me. Love. Love. Love, love. In our daily lives, we drop the word love like it's going out of fashion. Oh, Gloria, I just love your entire outfit today. I said Melissa earlier, but this is a pretty good outfit, wouldn't you agree? I just love your outfit. Oh, I love nothing more in this world than having a Chick-fil-A sandwich. And sometimes the only day I want a Chick-fil-A sandwich is on Sunday. Have you all ever had that conundrum? You arrive at Chick-fil-A on a Sunday afternoon, and you see no one there, and you think, I'm not even going to have to wait for my waffle fries and my Chick-fil-A sandwich, only to remember that they are holy people, and they don't serve food on Sundays. I love, I love, we use that word all the time. We love to love love. And then more often than not, our love is directed away from what's essential toward the things that don't particularly matter in this life. It's become far easier to express our love for things like meals and movies and experiences and even toward God than our families and our brothers and sisters in Christ. And I know that that might seem and sound strange, but it can be really easy to love God. God is great, God is good, let us thank Him for our food, we're going to thank Him for our food today, because this food is really great, la-di-da, 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 da-da, amen, do, do, yeah. You know, that's easy. We love God all the time. God does all kinds of nice and wonderful stuff for us. But because we've relegated God to some far away, beyond, some world that we cannot even imagine, we can talk about God here. We can talk about how much we love God because we act like God isn't even in the room with us. Our world is terribly confused about love. And perhaps it's so confused about love because love is so convoluted. What Leo read for us about love is John saying that love is supposed to be the normal response between people and between the Lord. Love is perfected in God. God is perfected in human love. This love, whatever that actually means, calls us to see the sacred and holy, not in God alone, but also in each and every person we think is unworthy of love. It is in the loving of the other that they and we are made both human and holy. And that's at the heart of this passage. We can talk about how much we love God because God loves us, but without loving our fellow human beings, we cannot know who God is. Let that sink in for just a moment. If we have no love for one another, we cannot know who God is. And love is difficult. 
There are differences in nation and religion and gender and generation and sexual orientation and race. And all these divisions, they have unspoken guidelines and rules about who is in the loving circle of comfort. At the same time, all those rules and guidelines tell us who is not worthy of that love. But we're here in church. We must be doing something, right? Otherwise, why else would we wake up on Sunday morning and come to a place like this to daydream about God? And we could take the time to examine all of the evil people in the world as opposed to those we love. We could explore what it means to change our convictions about them, but that's not really what John is talking about. He says, love is this, not what we can do, but what God can do through us. We know love, we know God because of who God was and is. Because God is willing to love us even though we do not deserve it. God loves us in spite of us. That's what love is. Therefore, this passage, this whole sermon, it's not about loving the other so much, about conjuring in our minds those evil people on the other side of the world. It's about looking closer at home. People who might be as close as the person in the pew next to you. People who produce a knee-jerk reaction in us. Do you know what I mean when I say knee-jerk reaction? It's an involuntary thing. It's how we feel without even thinking about how we feel. We don't even have the time to articulate in our minds how we experience an experience before we were that. You know, we might think that we're really cosmopolitan, that we know a lot about the world, but how did you react the first time you went to the grocery store and you saw your groceries listed in a different language? That's a knee-jerk reaction. You might think that you're really uh, sexually progressive, that you know the world is different than it was 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 years ago. But how do you react when you see two men kissing or two women kissing? That's a knee-jerk reaction. You might even find yourself to be economically progressive. You know that we need to help those who are in need. But how do you react when you see someone standing on the street corner asking for money? Do you lock your door? Do you roll up your window? That's a knee-jerk reaction. It's something that we can't stop necessarily. It happens without us even thinking about it. It's an involuntary thing. It's a knee-jerk reaction. It was just about a year ago that Lindsay, Elijah, and I drove up to Woodbridge for the very first time. We got the call. We knew we were going to be sent here to Cooksbury United Methodist Church. The district superintendent said, you need to find a house. You need to find a house. So we did what any couple would do. We called a realtor. Because we weren't allowed to let the church know that we were coming here yet, so it was all sort of a mystery, all under the cover of darkness. And we found about ten houses online that we wanted to see. So we drove all the way up, we came here, and the first house we wanted to see was on Granby Street in Dale City. On Granby in Dale City. And because we were so excited about coming here, about this new opportunity in a new community, we got there earlier than our realtor. And so we got out of our car, and we started to walk around the front yard of this house, and we immediately imagined and pictured ourselves there. We saw the grass, and we thought about Elijah running around. I saw the backyard, and I thought about the future, throwing a baseball with them. We imagined ourselves in this house. That wonder and that magic that was all tied up together. And then our realtor arrived in his perfectly clean Cadillac. And he got out of his Cadillac, and he walked over to us, and he said... I'm glad you have nine other houses you want to see because you don't want to buy this house. 
I said, well, that's why we have a realtor to tell us what's wrong so we don't make a mistake. But I'm curious, what is it about this house that makes it so bad? Is there a problem with the roof? Maybe there's a crack in the foundation. I know it can get pretty warm here in the summer. Is this AC kind of old? And he said, no. He said, come back at 4.30 this afternoon. See the types of kids that get off the school bus. You don't want to be around those types of people. Let me take you down to Stafford. I'll get you in a nice community with a nice house, and you won't have to worry about those types of people. Those types of people. For what it's worth, we bought a house right around the corner. <laughs> but what he had was a knee-jerk reaction. He looked out at that community, he saw the people who lived in those homes, and they did not look like him. And he made an assumption based on his reaction that because he would not want to live there, that we would not want to live there. It was his knee-jerk reaction. And I can pull out stories of all kinds of people. All kinds of people in their fallible sinfulness, where they have their knee-jerk reactions. But I'm going to tell you about one of mine, too. Years ago, at the church I served, every Advent we sold Christmas trees. Hundreds and hundreds of Christmas trees. It's what the church was known for in the community. I spent more time every December selling Christmas trees than I did visiting people or praying or writing sermons. Tree after tree after tree. And because it was Advent, a lot of people in the community knew that more money was flowing into the church. So we had even more people come to us and knock on the door and ask for financial assistance. It always happened at that time of year. Christmas trees and financial assistance. And so one December morning, I think it was a Tuesday, I was in my office in a rare moment working on my sermon. And the phone rang, it was the secretary on the other side of the building, and I picked it up and she said, uh, Pastor Taylor, there are two black women here to see you. She didn't just say there are two women here to see you, there are two black women here to see you. We never had anyone of any other skin tone other than white come to our church, ever. So I got up, I started walking down the hall, and in my mind I started going through the speech about how much money we have, how much assistance we can offer. Uh, I, I went through the prayer in my mind about what kind of prayer I would leave them with, and what kind of questions I would ask, thinking about only spending about five to ten minutes with them. And so when I got to the end of the hallway and I saw the two black women standing there, I said, what can the church do for you? And they said, uh, well, we wanted to help you. We wanted to just buy a Christmas tree. We just want to buy a Christmas tree. My knee-jerk reaction, this entire assumption I made about two individuals was based entirely on one word. The entire march down the hallways, I wasn't thinking about them as individuals, I was thinking about them as a group. So you can imagine my shame and embarrassment as I had to climb on the top of their minivan and strap their Christmas tree down, holding their $30 in my hand as I walked with my tail between my legs back into my office. Knee-jerk reaction. From realtors to reverence, we all have them. For some of us, it's obvious things like race or economics or nationality or, or age. Some of us, it's a little more subtle, a little more under the radar, something we don't often see. 
And for some of us, we know exactly where those knee-jerk reactions are. It won't take us but a minute to think in our mind exactly who the people are that produce that knee-jerk reaction in us. For some of us, it will take quite a bit longer. We might think that we're so wonderful and so holy that everyone's just like us. Or we might sit in towers of privilege so high we forget that the world doesn't look like it does to us to everybody else. We all have knee-jerk reactions. And it's important to think about those knee-jerk reactions because the kind of love that God calls us to have is not to just love people on the other side of the globe, but to love the people we have knee-jerk reactions to here and now. In this passage, when it talks about love, the word for love in Greek is agape. It's a special type of love. It is a love that is offered without expecting anything in return. We might call it unconditional love. That's the love not only God has for us, but it's the love God is. And the passage starts with the word beloved. Love one another. We are God's beloved. Because we are loved by God, when we simply do not deserve it, because we all have knee-jerk reactions, God still offers that love to us. It's because of God's love for us that we can and should and must love one another. And not just the people you're sitting next to. Not just the people in us in the world, but the people you have knee-jerk reactions to each and every day. Which leads us to your magical piece of paper. All of you would pull it out. This is a special and magical piece of paper for a number of reasons. One, it will dissolve in water. Uh, but two, the only person that will see this piece of paper is you. Is you. I want us to take two minutes to prayerfully consider who or whom produces knee-jerk reactions in us. It can be as simple as a group of people or one individual, or a type of person. I don't care what you write down or who you write down. But I want you to be honest with yourself. Who produces a knee-jerk reaction in you? In you. So take a minute or two, write that down, and then I'll have some more instructions for you. So, who produces a knee-jerk reaction in you? And once you write it down, I want you to fold your piece of paper twice and hold it in there. Once you have it written down, if you will fold it twice, perhaps even three times, whatever works for you. This isn't uh, time to share with your neighbor. This is just for you. A person that you have a knee-jerk reaction toward. Once you print it down, I want you to fold it a few times, and I want you to grip it tightly in your hand. I want you to grip it tightly in your hand. Sometimes the only way to move past that knee-jerk reaction is you have to admit it to yourself. That's part of this activity. Part of it is also to hold it close, to recognize that awful truth in yourself. But once you've held it close, once you've recognized that, that sinful judgment you have toward others, that I have toward others, you are going to need to let it go. You're going to need to let it go. And we're going to do that here in the baptismal hall. Because in the water, as I said before, we are made one with each other. There's no slave, no free. You're such a PK, it's frightening. <laughs> so you're going to hold the paper uh, because we have to let go of this, this sinfulness in us. 
We're going to have communion in a moment. And before we can come, yeah, let's go. Before you can come to the table and feast, you have to let go of this judgment, this knee-jerk reaction you have. So as we celebrate communion in a moment, all of you are going to come down to the center aisle. And when you do, I want you to take your knee-jerk reaction and let it go. Put it in a bowl, and as we continue to add to it, it will begin to dissolve. Because all of our judgments, all of our walls and divisions, they are rendered meaningless in baptism, in the unity we have with Jesus Christ. So prepare yourselves to feast and to let go. I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Amen.